0: Hi, I'm Ali Lawson. And I'm Tom McLean. And together we, we are, are Reagan, Reagan Projects. Yeah. So it's a pleasure to introduce Sal, Sal Randolph.
1: Randolph.
0: <laughs> and Sal, where are you coming from?
2: I am currently in a town called Hoosick Falls. There's oh. the Husick River and the town is uh, situated where there was a waterfall uh and uh where there still is a waterfall and it's in upstate new york uh right near the border of vermont so that's where i'm 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 in school uh, and teaching in vermont but living seven miles away um in upstate new york so. oh
0: how gorgeous yes, mm. and can you tell tell us a little bit about yourself well, I think
2: you'd have to
0: ask me something slightly more specific. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so when, so I know, that's is terrible, isn't it? Sorry. So we worked with you back in 2014. And the way that that happened was I was doing a PhD around kind of social art participation. And you were one of the people, Sal, that I was reading about and looking at and I had a serious art crush on. <laughs> and so I sent you an email and I said, Sal, would you consider doing something with Ray Gunn? And you came out with the Library of Art. Absolutely. So, would you be able to tell us more specifically about your interests and your practice?
1: And just to give a bit of context on that, that was in 2014. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I had already, you were already on my radar through um, our mutual friendly Walton. Oh, and of course. I, I did not put
0: actually, that together.
2: I was actually part of the experiential art show. Oh,
0: of course you were.
2: I think, and I think that was maybe in 2012. What did you so, do for
0: that, Sal? Do you remember? I did this crazy walking, singing Aretha Franklin thing. No, you you got think, I, I got spiderware. You had to that's right. You had to do something that you'd never
1: done before. No, that well, you, no, you would never do replace. again. You
0: had to commit to never do that thing again.
1: And yeah, you yeah, that's it right. was like
0: a sacred thing and everyone did it at the same time. That's right. Yes, I remember that. I,
2: and and I remember and I'm just going to confess now that I couldn't do it at that time for some reason oh like, uh, no, there were it, floods or it,
0: something awful in New York yeah, there was
2: some situation and i so I wasn't able uh, to I spiritually connected, but I didn't <laughs> Do you remember what time. it was no, I don't remember what it was was it a cat it, I feel like it was um I remember it, the image? The image was of my studio at that with time. A cushion,
0: with a cushion, with
2: a cushion. So the studio was was, uh, was still, that studio was still completely empty, which is the state I most love in a space and in yeah. a studio.
1: So and so there was a
2: meditation cushion in it. That's um, right.
1: Could you just like walk us through what that actual project, just to explain to the audience what it was, um, you know, all of these, how it involved people and what we had to do? the experiential art show
0: yeah mm. I would have so this to wasn't actually... Sal's project this was Lee Wilson's yeah. probably so we're off topic of how you again. guys yeah. yeah okay it is yeah
2: yeah I do I what I what I remember was that the, I mean I don't remember it perfectly so it's, it's it was a long time not. ago but um but I I'm a huge fan of Lee and I'd been in contact with Lee and one of the things that Lee does uh that's so wonderful he and I sort of focused on, on different sides of the word experience. So Lee is really interested in the experience of the practitioner, the artist, as they're making things, and he likes to create experiences for himself as an artist uh, and for audiences, of course. But but I'm really interested in what happens between the artwork and then the person uh receiving it, listening or hearing or watching or seeing, you know, all of that. Um, so we both are we both were really passionate about this book called Art as Experience by John Dewey and um we have a friendship that's kind of uh connected around some of those things Uh, that's awesome so the the experiential art show was part of that body of work of his um and my my recollection was that we were all intended both to have an experience ourselves at that particular time and place or time because we were distributed in space and then these cards were published by you guys, I think, to yeah. um, express the sort of breadth of that uh, one card for each project. Like each a year, packet for- of baseball
1: cards. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone Amazing. had that same. The one had to make a call on what they were going to do at a certain time on a certain day, and then every, and people are from around the world, mm. and then um, they had to take a photo of themselves doing it, and then That's it right. in, And then those photographs were put onto the yeah cards. so much no
0: fun. no the yeah. they had to send us the think, photographs and yeah. then and then we put and then we printed. it was the it was the action afterwards yeah it was it was an amazing project but that's how you heard about us Sal that's how I first knew about you yes
2: and I was so thrilled to be in a show in Australia or participating oh. in Australia yeah and I was um uh, even more thrilled uh, when you wrote to me so that was
0: uh-huh. just great. it's so nice <laughs> and then Sal you came to us with the library of art
2: yeah, I did. And th- I mean, that was a wonderful trip. And as you might remember, I came the next year with a collective project um, with Estar Serre, So I got to come to Colombo twice, which in, in, in two years in a row, which I, which is, just, I still can't believe. Yeah. We loved <laughs> it. So it was time. one of the
0: Ray Gun highlights. Time for another visit. So. Yeah, time for another visit. But yeah. so um, the Library of Art, Could you tell us what that's about and about how, yeah, maybe do that first? If you could do that first, you
2: would. That project is a project that I've, um, you know, lived with in various forms uh, really almost from the very beginning of my visual art making practice. So it started out um, originally as something in the studio. It was was a set of three cards, three sort of uh, stacks of cards, One, I was a sculptor at the time, and um, this was like a way of expanding my sculpture practice or rethinking my sculpture practice. So one of the cards was for materials, one was for processes, things you do to those materials, and one was for formal structures. So that could be, it included in that original uh, set of cards, numbers, but also shapes like triangles or other kinds of formal structures. and for a while, my sculpture practice involved actually picking one from each deck and rigorously executing on um, those sort of proto instructions. So, for instance, the first one that I ever did was cook insect tiling. So, uh, insect <laughs> was the material, cook was the process, tiling was the structure. And I have to say, when I received that, I was like, well, obviously, this is impossible. But then about Three minutes later, I realized I happened to have a collection of insects Uh (laughs) (laughs) because my studio was on an upper floor and the insects would fly up there and die. And for whatever reason, I just swept them up and kept them instead of throwing them away. Wow. Uh, And so I cooked them into these uh, tile-shaped sort of uh, flatbreads with uh turmeric i believe (laughs) this is amazing
0: (laughs) oh so good so So that
2: was the origin of that project and it's had many many iterations it's still iterating out um but uh, when I uh, brought it to Reagan, it was a series of books. So what had been a set of cards turned into books, and there were many more um, different categories. And it had become less, for me anyway, a tool for actually making art, and more a tool for trying to understand art in the broadest possible way. And And the game that I was playing was could I, In a way, I mean, this is obviously hubristic and also humorous and impossible, but capture all possible artworks in this library of of potential art. Um, So by then, it included uh, things that you might need to make social practice work. So there were situations; Mm. those were sort of of, uh, social situations or um, conundrum situations. Uh, There was uh, were a series of actions. Uh, there was a book for durations um and i it also had expanded to include i realized painters couldn't make much use of it in the original form so i added things that i thought painters would like
0: there was a participation one too
2: yeah there was a participation book that was empty and the idea was that as people played with the books and invented artworks, imaginary artworks from them, they would write them down into the participation book. Gorgeous, um,
1: And that's what we did at Raygun, that people would come into the show and they'd write, they'd just write their words down. Mm. Yeah. And that's we also a,
0: took it to Alaska Projects in Sydney. Yes. That was so
2: much fun. I, have, I still have, you know, pictures from that, that was in that amazing garage, yeah. space, car park, as I believe yeah. you would call it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I love I, I just loved it so much. That was that great. And people really played I people did really just jump right in, yeah. both in Sydney and in Toowoomba, um, in terms of really engaging with the project and playing with it in um discussing categories that they thought were missing. Um mm. for instance, a category of emotion or feeling um was one right. of those. Beautiful. Yeah. Um so so I haven't, I haven't started, I haven't made more categories yet. Although I have many lists, so when there's a good uh, moment, I think I will. And that one about feeling keeps coming up. Um, it's so interesting. I've started to use it as a teaching tool. The project as a teaching tool. So I've taught a couple of classes. Uh, where people create imaginary artworks and also use it to imagine what their own personalized art systems would be. Mm -hmm. So like um, if your own practice is, for instance, let's say hard edge abstraction or something, you might need to have it more (laughs) Uh, (laughs) fine-grained to help you make decisions in your own art practice. Um, You might be missing categories. Um, Though there is a good
0: color category. Uh But- (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I love that. And Sal, um, I remember. So there was this when you were in Toowoomba, and a part of you coming to Toowoomba. Well, it wasn't a part, but I kind of took advantage of the fact that you were there, and we sat down and had a big. It ended up being an interview for my PhD, but I loved it. And we were, do you remember we were sitting in the kitchen with the cups of tea and all the things. Yeah. And um, and I remember asking you because how, how it came to be that you were an artist because i was mm. looking at this idea that you know like social or participatory artists were kind of they went through this sort of merge of 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 things before they became before they started making that kind of artwork and i remember mm-hmm. that you said you were a writer a poet yeah yeah could you it's tell true. us about that and about how <laughs> is that a weird thing to talk about
2: no, and, it, you know, I still have a kind of lo- sotto voce poetry practice, and line- and definitely language remains a really important part of my practice in, in all possible ways. Um, but yes, I was a, um, a poet, and there's something, you know, I was living in a small town with a lot of other, where a lot of other poets were, as it happened, and um, I remember the feeling of trying to share my poetry with other people, like you could give a reading and that was kind of great, or you could get a poem published somewhere which was happening and, but you just don't hear back. Mm. And so you would, I would give my like little stack of new poems to a friend and they would take it and and then they would put it on their desk. And, you know, two months later they would have read them like, because, because reading poetry with that mind is the same mind you would need to write poetry. And so all the poets like would, you know, anyway, there's a high bar to get um, a sense of of the poem actually reaching a person. Uh, and I mean, people have solved that in many, many different kinds of ways. But um, at that moment, I felt the allure of visual art as a way in which people could, um you know, you walk into somebody's studio, you open the door, and bam, the art's already in you. You know? <laughs> you <can't. laughs> I mean, I, I obviously the, you know, once you're doing it for a while, it's more complicated than that, but um but that was the initial allure is the sheer speed and the way in which people almost couldn't help taking it in didn't mean they liked it didn't mean they had a way to articulate all of that but i i felt like i could see the beginnings better of people um experiencing my work which i guess is has remained the key kind of interest um and the reason I got into doing more social and participatory art is that little moment in a gallery where somebody is not you know make nods for like a second and a half as they look at your work did not seem long just simply didn't seem long mm-hmm. enough, and so I began a long series of, of experiments. Um, which arguably continue to this day, of, of ways um, of prolonging that encounter and of my getting to see something happen or perceive uh, something happen in another person, which is where I thought all the interesting stuff was. I, you know, I didn't think for me that the interesting stuff was on the wall. I thought the interesting stuff was in how people responded to it.
0: Yeah. 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 And that forms the basis of your in of your practice today, South, still? Yeah. Um, I like, mean, in,
2: in somewhat different ways, but yeah, yeah. So, so I don't do stuff that's quite as directly social and participatory as I did in that, in that sense. I've kind of edged a little bit over into performance, maybe,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and into creating. Um, but it, it's still, to me, the distinction between participatory and non-participatory art sort of dissolved at a certain point. Yeah, I true. wrote a book about um experiencing art. So uh, and it started out as a book that was intended to be about participatory art and to kind of bring my friends who who didn't feel for that kind of art closer to what I loved and closer to the art that I was excited by. Mm-hmm. But in the end, that book um, which is finished but sort of wending its way through the publication process now, but In the end, that book turned out to be a book about participating in art, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. So feeling that looking at a painting is as participatory as, you know, being part of a social practice artwork. Um, It's exactly like from my point of view, the same thing. Yeah,
0: Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so now, according to your website, Sal, you are... um, (laughs) Engaged in art, writing, poetry, as you mentioned, social, sound, teaching, speaking, and Zen. And Zen. Could you tell us a little and bit? And Zen. About oh yeah. Yeah, I love that you've included yeah. that. <laughs> I think, yeah, like, I mean, so it, it sort of gives an overview of you know the human that you are. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, you know, it really was. It was
2: out of working um, with Esther Sayre. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and I was teaching a class, uh, as you might remember, my friend Graham Burnett also came yes. for that project, and he and I co-taught a class at Princeton, I think in 2012 or so, on the topic of attention, mm-hmm. so attention is sort of fundamental to that project, that Esther project, it's sort of a project about the history of practices of attention, you might say and you can also see how attention might be kind of fundamental to this idea of participating in or experiencing art so it's just like one of my central topics and as we were preparing this class um, i started rereading some things i'd read in college uh, about zen and one day i just like got up and i sat down (laughs) I, i i started to actually practice it it wasn't the first time i'd ever meditated but for some reason, this time was different. I can't, you know, exactly say why. The book I was reading at that time was called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. It's a very famous uh, book about Zen practice, and uh, Suzuki Roshi, uh, Shunryu Suzuki, is the author of that book. Um, and he wrote early on in the book about the idea of um, uh, doing meditation or zazen for its own sake not for something else and this is exactly the kind of mind i wanted to get in in into in my art practice and so that's what that's what made it different i think is sitting down in a way that sort of fused my different interests and you know within a couple months i had found a a zen center and started to practice pretty seriously so yeah i've been doing that ever since
0: that's amazing and you're teaching it too sal well i teach i mean
2: I'm not a teacher, like a teacher or a sensei is like a, um, is a, you know, is an advanced role, <laughs> and I'm not in that role. I'm what's called a senior student, but, um, but as part of being a senior student, I give talks on Buddhist philosophy, they're called Dharma talks, and I also teach uh, beginning Zen instruction on Monday nights, um, uh I'm not even sure what time of day. That is, well, it's around this time of day, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, right, because I was doing that uh, the week that we were trying to um, meet. So I'm. there's a few of us who rotate. I don't do it every week, but I, I super wonderful. love
0: doing that. I think it was wonderful. So, I and
2: mean- We have a regular practitioner from Australia who comes to that Monday nights. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, so good. I love that. Hmm. And so you're, yeah, interesting- Interesting about um, your link there to Estar Seer.
1: Do you want? Well, how, how do you feel about explaining the
2: quote?
1: So, so Esther Seer. So Esther
2: is the uh, is a group of amateur researchers who research the history of practices of attention, in particular. The history of the practice of attention by a, a very uh, mysterious and fugitive group called the Order of the Third Bird. So, Esther Sayre, um is often confused with the Order of the Third Bird. So, I want to just make that very clear that two um, are are quite separate. One's a group of researchers, um, and one is a mysterious, somewhat secretive uh, body. But, uh, you know, so, but Esther Serre is. Um, I think we came with the Madame Banksia project, which was um, the amazing Australian artist Margaret Preston, and her um, connection with potential, you know, was still, the research is still up in the air, but but her potential connection when she was in Paris with some practitioners of the Order of the Third Bird, in particular some who were um, obsessed with giving attention to flowers.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, and and you can see that immediately if you know margaret preston's work yes. um when she comes back from those experiences it's as if flower these flowers in particular Banksy flowers are just um you know uh hyper real like they're not like like it's not like hyper realism in terms of realist painting but but they feel their the presence that they bring mm-hmm. to you is so strong um, and the suggestion from this research was that she became really um, a little bit over-identified and obsessed with flowers. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing.
2: Um, a wonderful. So, and and that group that group's work continues quite uh, strongly. Um, I was part of a project uh, that just presented this uh, spring at the Glasgow International. Um, uh, the work of a group of scottish related uh, artists who uh who worked on listening to paintings methods of of not like not in the sense of the paintings producing a literal sound but still using the methods of listening as opposed to looking in in mm-hmm. a kind of elaborate uh, visual choreography like a dance choreography of of, uh, of attending to paintings, paying attention to paintings, so, um, and that group is also, Esther Sears is coming out with a book, and oh, the Madame Banksia piece is going to be in this book, so that research will be in this book, and it's coming out very soon, I think, sometime this fall, it's from a press called Strange Attractor in the UK, wow. and, uh, it's being distributed by MIT Press, so wow. I can, um, Awesome. Maybe find the link for you and, and, and be send it to you.
1: Um, Yes, please. Yeah, so. Well, just a question on that. Is it always, is it only ever paintings that you um, give your attention to?
2: So, uh, what's understood best about the order or how we think about what the order did is, or even perhaps does, is give attention to things, primarily things that are made to be seen. Okay so that's a quite broad category so paintings are sort of the canonical object but that could also include um uh it could include a bridge it could include uh, a flower arrangement it could include um, a A Mm. yeah exactly exactly so um so it's it's a it it and different uh different groups of the order would uh, in a way, fall down different sorts of rabbit holes about forms of individualized or particularized practices that they did. Um, and so uh, they might have different things they uh, like to work with, like this this uh, group that uh, Margaret Preston fell in with, we believe um, was had been founded by um, uh, a French illustrator named Félix Regamé, who had spent time in Japan and and they had this uh, flower centric practice where they looked at flowers primarily. How gorgeous. Yeah. Amplomania.
1: Yeah. It's such what, interesting... what is it exactly do you think it is about the botanical, about flower cell that, that brings people in or
2: unites them? That's all? a good question because you work with botanical imagery quite a lot, yeah. don't you? And yeah.
1: I do. And I, and I, I think that that is a most odd thing that I do, given that, and particularly. When I think about that, I think about what other people think about me doing that as somebody who has a practice in monochrome painting, non-objective painting and geometric abstraction. But for me, it is definitely colour and how many colours or hues of one colour can exist if you zoom right into that botanical. These Mm. colours are sitting next to each other. And, you know, if you're really, really looking and you're really seeing, it's quite mind-blowing that this sienna can sit next to this magenta that can sit next to this other. And what happens when they're set when they're next to each other is like this shift. So for me it's about that. But then for other people, somehow botanicals have always bought through the history of art, people like they've always been painted for some reason.
2: Well, I mean, botanicals, you know, flowers are things made to be seen. I mean, they're made by a plant, they're mm-hmm. not made by a human. But they are definitely meant to be visually perceived. They're also meant to be olfactory perceived, right? So, and I started to work, do a little bit of like, a kind of a new side project with scents, which I'm very excited about. But, uh-huh. um, but uh, uh, yeah, they, they're, they're made to be looked at by, you know by insects and birds and mm. animals and- That's erotic, yeah. You know, we we respond to that. We respond. They're showy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> they are showy. Yeah.
2: We're, humans are very visually oriented. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, yeah. And Sal, so, um, another project that I was just telling some students about the other day is your free money project
2: yeah could you tell us a little bit about that yeah I think that was really my primary art practice for at least about 10 years so what I would do is give away money as my primarily sort of sort of art practice or art medium and um I did that you know it was an extension of the early experiments that I was doing in term the moving from being a sculptor to being a social practice artist. So, somewhere early on there, I experimented with giving things away that I had made um, in the gallery space. And there was so much energy there that I became very, very interested Mm -hmm. in what happened when you gave things away. What was free? What was a gift economy? And I had also tried uh, uh, making things extremely inexpensive. I think I went down as little as 10 cents. Um, And that had no effect. So so it was so interesting to see that, that that had no effect, but free had this huge effect, not just of, of creating people's interests, but in immediately provoking in people visibly um, a wide range of emotions. So suddenly I could see greed. I could see anxiety. I could see competition. I could see um, anger. I could see excitement. Um, which is so different from that kind of polite uh, mm-hmm. body language of somebody contemplating um, a work of art on the wall. And so that was just like, you know, somebody just took the lid off of a whole like mm-hmm. um, bees, you know, beehive. And <laughs> and, I, and I found it super exciting. And I began to pursue that question. And I I came to the, I had the idea, although I think it was quite wrong but i did have the idea that the thing that that everyone would want most was money the easiest thing to give away and sort of make it purely about giving away i could just use money Um, i now understand that that's not people are very anxious about money it's not the easiest thing to give away in the world they don't always want it so but you know that's how i embarked on that yeah. And my favorite way to do it, I did it, I put a lot of money in public space, I tried a lot of different experiments, but my very favorite way to do it was to meet a person um, one-on-one, a stranger, mm-hmm. and I used to use cafes as a space that I thought would make that person feel comfortable, in other words, a kind of familiar form of public space. Um, that would make them feel like I wasn't luring them into some like scary or nefarious something or other. Um, We would sit there together for usually about half an hour to an hour. um, And uh, I would try to give away enough money that I could feel it leaving enough money. So it was significant to me and enough money that they could feel it arriving or they could feel it as a sort of a uh, an event or a puzzle or even a problem um, so that was usually around 50 or 100 dollars mm-hmm. um, and I so I would put the money right on, depend on the circumstance how many people I was doing depended on how much money I could afford to give away at any given um, situation but I would put the money on the table and then I would ask them to make a choice and the choice was very simple whether they were going to keep the money or give it away I didn't care what they were going to do with it Um, uh, And, and uh, the idea was to take the rest of that time we had together, which most of the time to to not before deciding so so obviously people had an immediate. Uh, response and very often that response was to just give it away, but I tried and often to give it away to you know, an official or helping organization, you know, which I think is sort of the easiest emotional thing to do, so I tried to just my job was just to kind of pry open the emotional possibility space um, as I just sat there with them. And we often, we talked about whatever they wanted to talk about. Like some people were too anxious to talk about money. Some people told me lots of stories about money, of debts gone bad or um, times where they needed money, times where they fr- helped friends. Um, we would just sit there together. And then to me, the artwork happened after they left me. And their experience with that money unfolded over time, however long that took in their, you know, life and memory. Um, and so I didn't, I still didn't get to really see it, but I did get to see them and um, see something, something start to happen with them.
1: A response to your work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's really interesting. So can I ask, when, how, when did you start making art? Define making art? Well, <laughs> creating, making, did you, like, as a child, were you? I think it's always interesting to find out know, someone got stuck. I, I don't think I was a super
2: arty child. I mean, you know, I did the stuff that most kids do, but um, but I also just didn't get it, to be honest. Like, I remember it was in summer camp, and we, were, we did a plaster of Paris sculpture project. Right. And we were each given a uh, a bucket like the plaster Paris had been molded in a bucket, and we each had this thing. And then we were given the tools and um, I worked away with great excitement on my sculpture. but. Mine was really actually all about the surface texture and holes I made in the bucket and, and actually didn't change the shape of the bucket shaped thing at all, to the great consternation of all the adults around me. Like, they were like, you know, you should be making a duck, right? Do you know what I mean? like they that's what they imagined I would do but really what I came out with was a very textural complicated looking bucket so I and I it didn't even occur to me to to do what like it it just didn't even cross my mind to to make a duck so or whatever else they had in mind so um I don't think I kind of I mean maybe that's weirdly precocious but it's also weirdly backwards and so that you know I don't think I was especially uh, gifted as a as a visual artist, and I'm still, have a complicated relationship to that. But um, in high school, when I was about 16, I got very interested in theater and I did um, experimental theater all the way through high school and college and after college. And uh, similarly, uh, I got very interested in poetry and I did all of that um, through that time. Mm. Um, So it was really much later that I, you know, kind of uh, developed an engagement with, with visual art per se or with mm-hmm. the with the art world rather than the literary world. Um,
0: yeah, so interesting because, I mean, a lot of those participatory practices were and experiential practices were written about within that theatre context first, weren't they?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I knew a lot about performance art from... Yeah. Um, uh the you know the once i left school that was a moment so this is like in the 80s Mm. in in i was in boston and that was a moment where there was a great explosion in interest in performance art Mm. and um uh and experimental theater so but they had sort of different valences the performance art really coming out of um an art school that was in boston called the uh, the the museum school um
0: yeah and an interesting um so so that shift from just remembering from the from the reading all that time ago um with experience like experiential theater was about that shift between the um the audience member wasn't it so where the audience members yeah. sort of started to become a part of the per- yeah,
2: and I was definitely involved in that kind of theater, mm-hmm. you know, the, the theater group that I performed with, there was a theater group called Mobius, that mm-hmm. did a lot of participatory theater, um, and I was, uh, I and on the, on the more theater theater spectrum, I was interested in um, that sort of atmospheric, a very long theater like Robert Wilson, um, things that uh, were um, about feelings and atmospheres more than about um, narratives. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm still kind of that way, I think. Um, and I remember learning at that time about a piece which is still influential to me. I think it was called the Emerald Necklace. Um, and oh gosh, I think the artist's name is is Ron. Wallace, I didn't see, I never saw this piece. I only heard about it, it was like a legend. Mm. And uh, it was a walk piece. So there was a series of uh, parks in Boston um, that had been designed uh, by, I think, Olmsted, who's a famous uh, park designer. Mm. And uh, you would walk with this guy um, for several hours through these parks and um, that formed, they they kind of formed a necklace shape. And I don't even know what people talked about or what they did, yeah. but the idea of this one-on-one theater—that there was one performer and one um, audience member—and that they had this sort of lengthy, intimate time—just yeah. completely um, caught my imagination, and still does. And so, for instance, you can see it when I'm giving away the money and yeah. and wanting to meet people one-on-one. Um, yeah. To me, one-on-one performance is the totally coolest kind. So,
0: yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, do you do you feel like you exist within that? Kind of visual art space now, like where you're you're doing the no, yeah, so interesting. I
2: don't know; it's yeah. very confusing. Isn't yes, it? in the largest sense, I guess you know most of my uh, gigs are within the visual art context. Yeah, um,
0: right. So the, so the MFA that you're doing, for example,
2: it's in public action. So it's an MFA; it's a fine arts degree. And public action is intentionally not defined by the institution, so there isn't a precise definition. You could call it; they could have called it an MFA in social practice, perhaps. Yeah, but that particular um, institution, Bennington, has a has a center called the Center for the Advancement of Public Action, called CAPA, and um, and CAPA does things which are much more directly political.
1: Mm-hmm. So.
2: Um, there's somebody who works about removing works on removing plastics from the oceans wow, yeah. um, uh, there's somebody there who works on mediation techniques at the at, at the state government level so there's just there's all kinds of activities going on there that are more directly political and then um there is there are these kind of realms that are closer to social practice or even theater some of them um, can i,
1: can I? And my daughter said, Mum, when you do these podcasts, you're not allowed to interrupt. (laughs) Anyhow, I'm interrupting. So you two are these social practitioners. And listening to you, Sal, and I know Ali's, as a visual artist, as a painter and a drawer, I feel like my needs to connect with my audience are just exactly the same as yours. I need to create something. I need to bring an idea of something into visualisation so that I can connect I can communicate with someone and and um, want to I want to see their reaction and I want to I want to be understand that process so it's interesting then that you're talking about those things you're taking them one step further out into the world but they're actually not just about visual art or fine art they're actually living in all different types of there's crossovers, s- sectors.
2: And... Absolutely. I mean, I also I, I think it's not confined to art at all. I mean, oh, e- you okay. know, to art practice at all. I think, um, you know, this is actually part of our ordinary lives. <laughs> right? We want to communicate with other people and and um, see our effect on the world and see the response of other people. And and for me, I think in writing about this, writing about experiencing it, art um in this book project was partly about um within the visual art spectrum especially trying to democratize the experience by focusing on your own responses and reactions um, and not worrying so much about the art historical situation or you know what you're supposed to to know, think, or feel about the piece. So um, really authorizing people to make use of art. The book's called The Uses of Art. So how, how could a person make use of art in the way that we think of, like with music, we feel very free to make use of a piece of music, which means, which might mean, you know, like when I was a teenager listening to the same song over and over and over and over again, weeping, weeping. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of love. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, like so we use we use music very freely for emotional purposes, or, or we use it to um, make us feel uppie while we clean the house, or to set a certain mood when we give a party or to give our full attention to it in other circumstances, you know, in a concert. Um, so we but we use we we understand music to be something we can all use in just a huge wide variety of ways um, and have, you know, you can, you're, you, it's not weird to hate a certain kind of music or really not like it. Like you can like some things and not like some things and you're fully authorized with all of that. Um, and I feel like once people are in a gallery or a museum, uh, they they are, they suddenly are constrained by a set of um, yes, sure. sort of a, 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 what, what? what might be called a habitus like a way of being that we've been taught a politeness Mm. that we're supposed to um that the work is more important than we are for one thing Mm. and that we're supposed to therefore behave politely towards it and not violate it somehow not touch it for one thing of course but uh and there may be some good reasons for some of this stuff um but it makes it harder to use personally
1: to yeah. make internal stuff. And I would go um, one further step and say so then ne- the next expansion on from an artwork in a gallery is now we're having to view them behind a computer screen. So, how, yeah. how do we connect with them then? How do we get anything out of them? Hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Or, you know, but on the other hand, many of the artworks I've been most interested in and influenced by, I've read about in books yeah. and magazines. Yeah. Oh, you, you know that I do. Um, so, uh, so- a picture, you know, just an image can do a lot. Um, and there's a there's there's a kind of interesting part of you know that uh, that TV series book Ways of Seeing. Yeah. So with John Berger, it's talking about um, how people make use of art. Um, he talks about. Uh, his uh, uh, having a bulletin board in your, a uh, cork board in your house where you put up pictures that you, some of them might be pictures of families, some might be postcards of artworks some might be, and to him that is one way that people like bring um, artworks into their uh, homes, but also they can then become kind of an extension of your mind. and feel with them Mm -hmm. in a way that we do with other things all the time I mean I don't think it's it's particular to art but um but yes I think I think our society has put art in a kind of funny category that makes it makes it harder to use you know
0: yeah totally or you know I often find speaking to people who walk into a gallery there's yeah it's as you say there's this weird kind of stigma around it and we're in a regional area here so a lot of people are like oh that's for smart people like that's you know i, I don't get it immediately and it's mm-hmm. like well yeah. listen to me rant at you for thr- or tell you the story in two minutes or less they're like oh yeah i'm like yes yeah, like really complicated. like it's it's really simple it's, ob- it's it's simple usually like a, a super simple story at like, and the artwork is a way into
1: that story that the artist is telling maybe a new question could be is what would we do if we didn't have a gallery how else would we do this mm. I guess that's what you're doing Sal social practice well it kind of creates one-on-one. more
0: opportunities without a gallery in some ways because you don't have all of that you know hang up mm. all of the contextual baggage Maybe I don't know I mean I
2: think having your own gallery gives you a lot of power over this situation <laughs> you know if- I did
1: you can do and, stuff we had fun yeah, we, and so.
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah and and you know I think you know when I think of about what Reagan was doing around the time that I was visiting you guys that moved back and forth between social practice and abstraction mm. as the two sort of central um, aesthetic uh, poles had to break down some of the barriers right because one you know one month you're trying to participate in something the next month you're looking at something and what and and you're in a community like what was one the other thing that i thought was super wonderful about raygun is there was a community of people who just showed up for what you did and over and over and over again and knew each other knew you knew the space and um, were willing to let themselves kind of move through these two poles. And I think that's an amazing demy- demystifying, demystifying, engaging, participatory kind of sensibility.
0: Yeah, know, they stuff. never knew what they were going to get. And they Sal. weren't necessarily <laughs> artists, were they? They were No. Yeah, lots of different kind of yeah. people, which was nice. Mm. Yeah. So sorry, yeah. you were talking about the um do you want to circle back to the public action? Oh, um yes
2: so you know i'm for me it was partly just a way of taking a couple of years and having a bit of a reset Mm
1: -hmm. and seeing
2: trying to reset my practice um so that's i think the main thing that i'm doing there but it's super fun and part of the part of the program is being able to teach directly from your own artistic research and so i'm teaching a class right now called the slow studio about slow aesthetic experiences and also what slowness might give us kind of uh, from a political perspective, sort of as a way of, of resisting um, the, the extraction of our time by our kind of ordinary capitalist lives, you know, our ordinary working lives um,
1: mm-hmm. can
2: be very, uh, can narrow what a human being is into their into their work productivity selves and what's the self outside of that how can we activate that in a way that's exactly the same as everything i've always been interested in it's just in a different like it just turns the turns that experience that sense of what is an experience what is your attention how do you come into a a richer sense of experience and just treating that very directly yeah wow
0: yeah, super interesting.
2: So it, you know, and and I think the the public component of that is that broadly speaking, um, I'm trying to think about our contemporary crisis, especially the climate crisis and the sort of social crises that that kind of come uh, directly from that. And uh, you know, how we're how are we all going to live the next ten That'd or
1: twenty uh,
2: or thirty years? And then you know beyond our own lifetimes. What's, what's going to happen? What are we doing? Yeah. And how can you think when you're panicking too? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, this sense of continued crisis and urgency makes it actually harder to take in information, to process information, to act from that newer information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so slowness is one of the techniques for me, even though it might seem kind of oblique, for me, it's kind of a, it, you could say it's a technique for, you know, combating uh, the climate crisis.
0: Yeah, wow. So can, can you expand a little bit on that idea of
1: slowness?
2: Uh, ask a question.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, would you give them a, are you proposing that you would give a tool to exercise to instantly bring you into a Zen form of slowness? Hmm. Well, there's no
2: way to instantly be slow, yeah. right? But right away that I think expresses our, the contradiction in our contemporary culture. We want to get whatever the thing yeah. is, we want to get it now. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. So so the uh, there are different kinds of slow experiences that we've uh, done in the class. It comes also out of this kind of performance work that I'm doing now, which involves um, ambient type of music. So it's there's music. There might be um, there might be something like an essay that's spoken, but um, very slowly. Not not in the sense of slow motion speech, but in the sense of a little tiny bit at a time, with large uh, gaps in between and and uh, ideally with the participants lying down on the floor. So we teach the class in a dance studio where the students can lie down on the floor um, and listen to things very slowly. So the readings we do for the class, which might be theoretical readings, um, are done out loud and listening in the space, um, potentially moving or potentially being still. Um, sometimes we're listening to slow musics or uh, one of my one of the things I've been inspired by is this Norwegian slow TV. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. So um, it's not that old, but it's a it's a kind of TV that that the Norwegian TV company, NRK I think they're called, uh developed. And the very first one was a train ride from uh, the coastal town of Bergen to Oslo that takes about seven and a half hours and so if you go online you can see the video of this seven and a half hour voyage and the purest form of it is just um, you're looking out the front of the train for seven and a half hours, and you're oh, listening to the kind yeah, of little crazy. Crazy. Um, and, and I, I love it so much. Mm. Uh, and Norwegian slow TV has also included like you know a fireplace crackling, or uh, they have I think of something called wood night or log night, um, where <laughs> people like cut lo- cut their uh, their firewood for the winter. Uh-huh. Files. Um, yeah. But it's basically, I mean, the simplest way to say is that all the slow TV is is just things that happen in actual time. Yes. And we're so used to our images, our, our, especially our video images, being cut and sliced yes. and composed for us. Mm. And, and so you get more stimulation than you do in ordinary life. And so it seems and feels very, very slow to watch um, Mm-hmm. Watch something that just ha- just takes place in real time. Yeah. That's all
0: in the simplest it, way. Is part of the interest in that kind of assisting the students in regrounding themselves in a way. Oh, for sure, but but also
2: like you know, I mean, in a way, the class might have this sort of therapeutic element. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's really like actual research. What what is you know we talk about what makes something feel slow. Um, or there was a there, you know there's this there's definitely a sort of anti-capitalist kind of underpinning mm. in the class, and the students rose up and said, we don't know enough about capitalism. We wow. need to know more about capitalism. Yeah. So we had a we had a class um, where we did where we heard um, a long set section of a of a short book on the origins of capitalism where it came from when it happened. why it, it it looks the way it does um, so that we have a little bit more common vocabulary about that so I and I don't know what's going to happen in the class actually it's really actual research it's not like mostly I've taught classes that are very well planned out and have an mm. advanced syllabus and you know I know you know I write down at 510 we do this at 520 we do that then that wow. goes on at 550 like yeah. I actually still do that but um, but the students, I'm trying to work with students to develop the syllabus based on their interests, yeah, and wow. we're third way in the cl- in, into the course, and we're still in that uh, developing space. Amazing. And and the idea is for them to develop slow experiences for each other. So in a way, the medium of the class, although the, it's not only artists who are in the class, but the medium of the class is slow experiences.
1: Mm, and, yeah. yeah. Beautiful.
2: Having them making them, sharing them. And i'm curious like i'm just as interested if somebody hates slowness as if somebody loves slowness you know wow. it's it's it can be challenging it can bring up feelings it can make you restless it can make you bored you know and i think finding the boundaries of that you know all that's important to me
1: imagine yeah. if all the world knew how to do it Sal, <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just we're looking at the time um yeah it's so gorgeous. it's, it's so, so nice, nice to, to speak with
0: you and, to and hear you. about what yeah will we get
1: to see the people oh, on the know. yeah
0: but um, got um the zoom thing happening
1: yeah but i, to hear what I you're guess to. yeah um i suppose uh where to from here for you um is there anything that you want to share like you know what you're up to or,
2: Yeah, I have a show coming up or I'm part of a show coming up that I'm really excited about where I get to play with all of this stuff we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's at a space in New York called the EFA project space and it's Mm -hmm. happening in um, the spring, I think, March 12th to May 14th, I wrote down Mm -hmm. and the show is called Sprout, Hinge, Nap, Wobble. <laughs>
0: oh, I love that! <laughs> Please it's so.
2: very, very broadly about the climate crisis, um, mm-hmm. but it's interpreted by the different artists who are part of it in in very many different ways. And I'm working on uh, sort of taking what i've been developing in the performance space that i just described for you a little bit into an installation space so i'm making an installation with cushions that people can lie down on and there'll be a video projection on the ceiling of really what's just right out the window but just to encourage people to lie down and look up and in a way give their eyes just a little tiny bit to do. And uh, there'll be a very long musical piece with one with this slow essay about slowness. Wow. Be of, yeah. wow. awesome.
0: That sounds amazing. Bring Sal. it to Australia. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd be amazing. Yeah. That would, be, amazing. <laughs> that oh, how would fabulous. be Yeah.
1: Might have to do something about that. We'll yeah. put that put that I love link that. In.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Sal. It's been such <laughs> a pleasure. Good oh, time. I'm
2: so happy to see you guys. I just can't even tell you.
0: It's so <laughs> nice. We love it so much. I, I love to... that
2: you're going strong, you know? And...
0: <laughs> Aren't we funny? It didn't take very long. It's like, Not do you think we could do? What, what else could we do? It's like we, we need to do
1: something together. Seven year project, and then, like, okay, let's regroup and go and do what we're doing. And then one conversation. Well, yeah. you know, I think it just was a breeding ground for like this fertile thinking. And so nice. It so amazing. Love it.
0: It's so nice to have the chat. Yeah. And this is the thing that we wow. would do during install sale, isn't it? Right? Yeah. All the in between times. Yeah. was you the know, best? We'd have yeah. this
1: chit chat 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 chat. There yeah. was never
0: a dull moment. It's an
1: artwork on its
0: own. Thank you for listening to our Ray Gun podcast. You can visit us online at www.raygunlab.org.